Welcome to The Common Rounds. Medical education for medical students by medical students. So I'll just start off by welcoming Alex to this podcast. We're going to talk about uh, your elective down in Ecuador. And uh, I know I'd, I'll be very happy if you could, you could start off by just talking about where and how you went to Ecuador and why you chose Ecuador as the place you wanted to go. Um, so I decided a while ago that I wanted to go to South America. And um, I had already started learning Spanish in undergrad, uh, which was very interesting. And I'd always uh, been enticed by Latin American culture and I'd always wanted to go to South America. So I uh, thought, well, let's see what's out there. And so I went on the electives network database and I just kind of started looking through places in South America. And this one showed up as a popular option. The... um, Sinterandes Foundation in Ecuador and I just looked through it and I looked through a few other hospitals around and you know this one seemed like a perfect fit, fit for me. So you said you took Spanish was it one of the reasons you wanted to go to Latin America was to practice your Spanish and get an elective experience as well? Well yeah pretty much I, I always wanted to uh, use my Spanish I figured if I was going to learn it I should use it and uh, travel around and I thought this would be a good way to mix travel with uh, medicine and maybe get some experience in using Spanish you know medical setting rather than just as a tourist yeah and how, how easy was that? I mean I understand um, you're not a native Spanish speaker are you no so how easy or difficult was it for you to go out there and take histories in Spanish or just get around in Spanish understand um, get work done well for me it uh, ended up being quite easy I mean I had uh, done pretty well in my studies when I was studying Spanish uh, despite not having traveled to South America before and I just found that once I got there once everybody was speaking Spanish to me it was easier to immerse myself and get ready the medical stuff was a bit hard to begin with but uh, it was advantageous that Spanish and English both use a lot of Latin words for for um, medical terms and so the terms were fairly similar to English for the most part and so after a few days I definitely got into it and I was able to take histories from uh, people and yeah, it all ran pretty smoothly. Um, sorry, I'm just going to take you back a bit and ask you about that database you talked about. What's it all about? I mean, I personally haven't seen any of that. So, uh, so the Electives Network is a database. I, It's worldwide. I'm not sure who it runs by, but our... Um, Medical Defense Organization, MDA, gives us gives all student members free access to that database. And that database just lists uh, all through the world a bunch of hospitals or uh, foundations uh, to do medical electives for medical students. And so it's got uh, anything you're looking for, you can probably find there. And then it has info for contact and uh, past uh, reviews of various electives and things like that so it's it was very handy for a lot of students in my year for looking at what they wanted to do and where where there were options and where to go right and um does this cater for a certain like so they say that you should go for an elective based on um your interest rather than the place would you agree with that for starts i would i would you you shouldn't just go to a place and then be bored there or be disinterested in your elective when you're there you you need you definitely need a mix of having a having something that you're interested in that you can engage in at your level 
and then uh, being in a place that you'd like. And is this possible to the, the database that you talk about, like to the students? Yeah, yeah it, it lets you just search through a whole bunch of things and see what's right for you. Right. And then uh, even after that, some certain electives uh, have found that based on their history of taking students, that they can cater within the elective, they can cater to the interests of the student, which um, the Sinterandis Foundation were able to do for me right. as well. So once I was there, uh, I told them about what I was interested in and then they were able to set up rotations with various doctors and in various mm -hmm. clinics for me so that I could experience what I wanted to experience. And what was the, what is it like getting everything sorted over there? Was it a lot of paperwork? How, what was the time before you had to start working on this before your um, actual uh, elective placement and, and what was it like generally? Uh, so I organized it in, I believe, August and I went in January so that was what's that five or six months ahead of time uh, certain electives depending on where you go uh, need a longer period of time based on when they take students and what their intakes are so I, I, I put in my application and my first contact in August with the foundation and they got back to me very quickly within that week and said well um send us some paperwork i can't remember exactly what it was but it was a uh, would have been a cv a letter of application and a, a reference letter from from one of my uh, professors and then it just went from there they said okay we've confirmed your place and then after that i just booked my tickets so it wasn't too hard it was all through email it was all very easy the administrators there helped us out really well and then I booked my tickets, I got there and, you know, we started working on what I wanted to do and... Was it was there um, a lot of prerequisites that you had to do, get through before you could uh, get into this placement? Uh, the one thing is they just wanted uh, knowledge of Spanish and uh, they didn't have any uh, requirements in terms of paperwork for knowledge of Spanish, but uh, it helped that I wrote my application in Spanish and I was speaking to them in Spanish through all my emails so mm -hmm. they knew they to an extent knew that I could speak Spanish yeah. that that's mainly all they wanted and did you have to um, say prove that you've done three there's some um, electives that require you to do three years of medical studies before it was there any such thing or was it just no they were pretty uh, relaxed with that they take medical students from a variety of years in uh, various degrees from around the world so but there are some elective uh, hospitals and societies that need you to only be a third year or a fourth year in your final year of study uh, but this wasn't the case over in Ecuador. Right and why Ecuador? I mean you said you had an interest in Latin America was it um, based on the, your interest at in the university or sorry the hospital or was it more uh, this I wanted to visit Ecuador maybe see the rest of Latin America school have a bit of a travel? Uh, so when I looked up the foundation and the program that they had, the key for me was they had a mobile surgery program, which is they had a truck. Is that the, what you're interested in? Uh, to an extent. Uh, I was, I really liked the idea of the fact that they had a truck and in the back of the truck is a theater. And so they would go from uh, their base in Cuenca, which is a town in Ecuador, they would go to other rural communities and operate over there. 
rather than uh, what we have in a lot of countries where people have to travel from their rural communities a long way to get surgery or to get medical intervention. You know, we were going to them. And so that I really thought would be a really, really good experience and I wanted to see how that worked and how they did that. And so that really drew me to this elective uh, specifically and it happened to be in Ecuador and I was excited to go to pretty much any country in South America but Ecuador seemed pretty good, pretty safe rel relative to some other countries and it, it seemed like it had a lot to do when I wasn't there on the elective and had some downtime. So it was just a perfect combination for me and then after that after the week of mobile surgery, I got to uh, experience a whole bunch of other medical uh, electives. I did some general practice, some obstetrics and gynecology, and some uh, emergency and trauma surgery, and that was really good as well. So it's pretty diverse, isn't it? Yeah, I was able to get a very diverse elective experience out of it rather than staying in one place doing one thing for, for four weeks. So what was the proportion of uh, the mobile surgery? Uh, what was that component compared to the rest? Were you spending more time over there, I assume? Or was it you take this truck and then you go to a place and you do everything at once? Do you go in and uh, do some GP rotations while you're at um, a particular city or were you doing each of them separately? So I did all my other rotations uh, in Cuenca uh, for the three weeks that we weren't doing mobile surgery. So the one week that we did mobile surgery, I went with the team uh, to the uh, rural town that we went to for that month, and uh, we were there for the the five days, and we just did everything. We we were operating, we were doing pre-operative assessments, post-operative assessments, all of that, and so we just did a bunch of surgeries in that intense week, and then we came back. So did you go to one particular town for that week and then do everything over there, right? What was the team like? How many you know, surgeons was there? How many students? How many? So for my team, there was one general surgeon, general and trauma surgeon. Uh, we had the anesthetist, uh, a general physician with us. We had the GP from the town was there to greet us. And then we had uh, two students from Australia, so me included in that, uh, two and three students from Ecuador, students from the uh, university based at the hospital there, and two of them were final year students. One of them was uh, a few years below, like a second year. What was the experience like? Did you get a chance to do any procedures? Did you learn? I mean, I'm assuming that you, that because it's a small, uh, there's more to do over there, you tend to learn more, is that correct? Uh, yeah, I was very interested and I got to scrub in quite a few times for a few procedures that we did there. Uh, when, when we were there, we mainly did uh, smaller procedures like removal of lesions from the skin. Uh, and we did two hernia repairs uh, in the truck. Uh, and that was really good. That, that was an experience that I, I think I learned a lot from uh, when I was there. And it was good to practice my Spanish in theatre when we were scrubbed in, so I, I felt that I got I did get to do quite a bit. I got to assist in in surgeries, and yeah, it was pretty good. It was a, it was something that you don't necessarily get while you're here. And what are the facilities like? Because I'm assuming that considering it's a truck and it's mobile, you can't really carry everything that you would get in a modern um, surgical room. What was it like? Did you have any um, problems that you encountered? Did you 
So you don't have this, so we have to use this instead. The main thing was the scalpels get blunt. <laughs> um, we have our own autoclave sterilization machine uh, outside the theater part of the truck, but still in the truck. The and the scalpels that we that the foundation uses just have been getting blunt because they've been used for so long and re-sterilized so long. Basically, we don't uh, tend to use so many disposable things, or we don't we don't throw away things that don't need to be thrown away and can be sterilized and re-sterilized. So it's it's just equipment like that. Aside from that, there is laparoscopic equipment. We didn't use it on that trip, but there is laparoscopic equipment there that can be obviously re reused for different patients after being sterilized. And so that's the main thing over here in Australia. In theatres, we have a lot of things that are disposable or termed disposable that probably can be sterilized again. Uh, but we, we choose to throw them out just to, to not take that risk and also probably because it's in the contracts with the um, with the companies making the, the equipment that we should throw it out and buy a new one. So uh, it's, it's very different over there. They're definitely better with their resource management and that's through all of the hospitals in Ecuador as well uh, that, I, that I was at. They, they're better with resource management. They don't throw out things just because the company suggests that you should throw it out. And what about medicines? I mean, you do anesthesia uh, med medications and stuff that you have to give patients afterwards, heparin, etc. Do you have any problem with that or was it just smooth sailing there? It was pretty smooth sailing. They they ran a tight ship as it is. Uh, they were quite diligent in selecting the patients, making sure these were patients who wouldn't need a long hospital stay or anything after the surgery. So these were um, more simple procedures uh, and they would have a smaller recovery time. It also helps if you have better surgeons and better anesthetists, you get shorter recovery times anyway. And so... It was it was very good in that we had uh, selected the patients who wouldn't uh, would do quite well, and then we did the operations and then we checked them, and their GP f followed up their care postoperatively after we had left, mm -hmm. and then we also were able to use telemedicine. So a week later and two weeks later, the f general physician and the general surgeon that were there uh, used webcam to see the patients and to look at their wounds and to see and to talk to them to see if there was anything wrong and use that in conjunction with the GP over there to suggest anything if anything did go wrong but everything was very very smooth sailing and so everyone was followed up well and nothing went wrong right. to my knowledge. It seems like a very intricately you know, controlled process. What is the selection like? I mean you said that you, you stated that um, you take people who tend to require less um, resources to fix. What is the criteria like? Well, I wasn't too sure about that because they were all uh, kind of triaged by the GP beforehand before we arrived there to get our list and then we just did a, a typical uh, pre-operative checklist and everyone who we saw who the GP had put through uh, was a was able to get surgery. It's 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 just things like if people uh, had multiple, multiple and multiple advanced comorbidities, uh, they'd be harder to, they'd be harder to look after. And depending on a procedure, some people who might need a big procedure like a cholecystectomy would need a a, a hospital stay 
rather than that being a day procedure as such. So where we were in this town, we didn't have hospital facilities for people to have post-operative care. And so we had to we had to get the GP to select those patients accordingly. Right. And I'm assuming there's a socialist um, initiative that um, the government pays for all of this when you go around and treat people? Uh, no, this is a non-government organisation. <clears throat> so this is a foundation that works solely off uh, donations and... Right. and uh, as elective students there, we make a donation as part of like an elective fee uh, so that we can participate in that, which is fair enough. And a lot of, uh, a lot of foundations that take elective students uh, run that way. And so this, this foundation is solely run by donations. Oh, that's really interesting. And, and the generosity of the time given by the surgeons and all the doctors there. Right. So it's entirely voluntary from everyone's perspective. Yeah. Oh, that's pretty interesting. So um, just taking it on the other side as well, what was it like when you see um, uh, the? You gave us a talk uh, last year um, in terms of what your lecture was like, and you talked about how you go into uh, people's houses, which is essentially a GP's practice, and then occasionally you go into the living room and there'd be patients on sofas and couches and everything. What was that like? Uh, well, that was that was very. Uh intriguing and very eye-opening for me uh, I was able to do on my GP term some home visits and it was it was definitely very different but you got to see how the patients were living uh, it's it's something that has decreased a lot in Australia GPs doing home visits but occasionally uh, we do get them here but over there it's part of uh, what the GPs consider just a, a normal part of their work to, to go and see their patients especially the patients who have chronic diseases and uh, issues with getting to the GP practice you know, it, we make it they made it very easy to, to bring the healthcare to them as opposed to making them change their lives around just to get to the GP so we would go to them and we would just do GP consults in their own houses right. uh, and that was very good and they were very thankful for that the fact that we would come to them and help them take their blood pressure look at their medications look at uh, how their house is set up and whether we can do anything to uh, suggest anything better for them and usually the family would be there as well or a family member who would be who would uh, be a carer of the patient and so we would be able to explain to them what they can do and how, how they can help the patient you know get the best quality of life and what are the most no, prevalent diseases over there i mean it's a developing country you used to have You've got this mixed thing of um, infectious diseases and uh, uh, chronic diseases as well, yeah. diabetes, heart disease. What are the most common conditions you saw and probably got an experience about? Well, from what I saw in general practice, we definitely did have quite a bit of uh, diabetes and hypertension. Uh, obesity is on the rise, uh, especially with changes in diet, which seem to be going to a more Western Western diet. Uh, diabetes and hypertension were were the big ones. There's a big prevalence of HPV, and so Paps me as as in terms of a public health initiative is a very very big initiative, and it's big on the, all the GPs' minds for for all women. Paps me and cervical cancer. Aside from that, did you get much yellow fever? We didn't, and that was interesting for me because I 
I thought that there would be more, but where we were, we were, Cuenca is in the Andes, and so the mosquitoes can't really fly that high. But there, there wasn't, uh, and throughout Ecuador, when I was asking doctors, they said there isn't as much yellow fever as you'd think, but there is more dengue, and mm. when dengue season hits, it's a... Uh, it's quite bad and a lot of people do get dengue fever and the only treatment for that is supportive. So fluid, but um, there's there's not that much yellow fever, there's not that much malaria in Ecuador, but there is there is dengue. Just taking back a bit, what, um, I'm curious about what the, inf- not the infection, rather, but um, the rates of hospital-acquired infection rates are in, in a mobile truck compared to a hospital setting. Well, from... From the stats that the doctors told me, zero. Zero, absolutely zero. Is that because the doctors are just incredibly amazing at what they do? Was it because... They yes, they're stop? very good and they're very diligent about what they use. They're, they're very diligent about their sterile fields, the sterilization of all the equipment, of keeping the, um, the theater, so the back of the truck, sterile and clean. And from, from what we've... Notice that there aren't hospital-acquired infections, and while while I was there, from what I heard from the patients that we had seen, that they, they were all fine. There, there didn't seem to be anything. I mean, I don't know their wider stats because the program's been running for twenty years, but it's uh, whatever it is. It's definitely lower than uh, hospitals, other hospitals rather than the truck. The trucks, the trucks' rate of infection is lower than the other hospitals. And is that completely attributable to the practices that they have over there, or is it? I'm 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 not sure, but I would I would I would guess that it that that it would be. Right. And what is the accommodation like down there? Where you stayed? How was living? So the foundation has a member who offers homestays. Uh, she's not uh, involved directly with the foundation, but uh, she offers her large house and rooms in her house to uh, students doing electives, and she's been doing that for twenty years. And so that was very good. We were able to, for a for a rate, we were able to or rent a room in her house and. We got laundry as part of that, and we we were able to get lunch and breakfast as part of that, and so that was that was really good and really convenient. It was uh, conveniently located. It was safe, and we didn't have to spend on a hotel yeah. or or a motel, and so it was very good. And we got to practice our Spanish while we were there, uh, while we were at home as well. So that was really good. Were there many people up there as well? I mean, you mentioned that there's one other um, Australian student. Yeah, so we were the only ones in the house at the time. We were the only students visiting for the month of January. So it was just us. And uh, what are the other... What do you do after all the rotations and everything is done? You come home. I I mean, I I remember when you talked about this to us uh, last year. There's a photograph of you playing football on what I thought was a basketball court with the local kids. That's right. That that one was taken on the basketball court next to where the surgical truck was parked. So that was in our rural community when we had gone there. I had scrubbed out and let the let the other students scrub in and so while the, while some of the doctors were operating uh, we were we were outside playing playing with the kids because uh, as you can imagine, it's a small theatre. You can't have everyone in all the time. So we kind of did shifts <clears throat> and we each took different operations. And so when we weren't operating, 
when I wasn't operating, I decided I'd play with the kids. They're very good at soccer. <laughs> They're very good. <laughs> and uh, what, what other, so after you're done with the elective, did you go out and travel much? Yep, so I was able to have free weekends, and that was really good. I got to visit Keto on one of the weekends, and I went to a concert there. I uh, Spanish concert? Yes, it was a concert by Daddy Yankee and Don Omar. It was very good and very entertaining. I got to climb Chimborazo, which is the highest um, highest peak in Ecuador. <coughs> Not all the way to the top, but I got to got pretty high up at about five thousand eight hundred meters or something like that. So that was really good and <coughs> a, a really fun, a really fun day. And I got to do a few other things. I went to <coughs> various little towns, waterfalls, did some hikes. It was it was very good. And I <coughs> I had the time to organize little trips like that. I think um, I'd like to know a bit more about the kind of challenges that you faced when you went there and maybe before. Uh, for starts, in terms of language, you've already mentioned that it's Spanish and you're pretty fluent with your Spanish. But uh, there's so many different languages in Ecuador. There's so much regional variation. Was that a problem when you went out um, on the surgical truck uh, to, to go and talk to people and they're just speaking a completely different dialect or a different language altogether? Did you experience that? Or was um, not really. Not when not in the medical sphere as such. Um, uh, it did take me a while. Certain people had certain... Uh, dialects that were a bit strange and certain words that they used that I didn't understand initially but uh, after a while I definitely got the hang of it um, there, there, there is a bit of regional variation within Ecuador but it wasn't something that really threw me too much with Spanish uh, they could tell that I wasn't from Ecuador but aside from that um, <coughs> it was pretty good I didn't get to visit uh, very remote indigenous communities where a lot of a lot of the people speak their own indigenous languages like Quechua or Shua uh, but I did I did meet some indigenous people uh, in Quito at um, various um, souvenir stalls and but but they spoke Spanish well and they were able to communicate but it was nice hearing indigenous languages spoken out on the streets uh, but it did, it imposed too much of a problem for me. Did you uh, catch a lot of that when you did you come out knowing far more different languages than you initially started off with? Unfortunately, not. But uh, maybe if I go back there and stay for a bit longer, I can immerse myself in 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 some of these other cultures as well. Yeah, and in terms of safety, this is something that a lot of people would be worried about: is just safety. I mean, considering that Ecuador is so close to extremely dangerous countries like the U.S. But uh, in general, what is it like um, living in a country where uh, freedom of speech isn't exactly the, it's not the most open country in the world and um, you, you have stories of, of the president making fun of people who oppose him or uh, humiliate them mm. on national TV. Mm. What was it like living in a place? Did you, did you find that a problem when you went there? Well, the main thing is if you're going to go to a country, you should look up what's happening politically. And Smart Traveller, which is a website by the Australian government, is very good at that. And it gives you, it tells you the situation and tells you what you can do, what you can't do, that kind of thing. And so when I had looked that up before I left, it said, Smart Traveller told me that it is illegal for a foreigner to be part of a protest in Ecuador, for example. 
And so I made sure that if I ever saw a protest, I walked in the other direction. And that only happened to me once uh, when I was walking through a big park in Cuenca and I saw there were people protesting about something. I think it was about animal rights. But regardless of what it was about, I just walked the other way because I didn't want to be involved in case anyone thought that I was getting involved in a protest. Uh, aside from that, politically, nothing nothing really happened. Nothing was really going on. There wasn't a coup or a crisis situation at the time. Everything was fairly stable. Um, I didn't talk much politics with anybody while I was there because that that wasn't something I was particularly interested in. I don't really like Australian politics, let alone let alone other politics. So I stayed out of that sphere. In terms of safety for a tourist and for people, you you really just have to apply common sense and understand that this is a different part of the world. In Australia, we're lucky enough to have a very low crime rate, very low violence rate, and very uh, we're very safe in general, and we do take that for granted. When you go to other places, it's not necessarily like that. In Ecuador, all houses have steel gates that are locked, Pretty much every shop front has everything behind a gate that can be locked. Things like that. It's not, it's not as open as it is here. And that reflects the, the higher rates of crime and violence. If you're walking, walking down the street, a lot of people don't carry much money. Uh, especially if they're not going to buy anything while they're, uh, while they're walking certain places. A lot of people, don't carry their ID because they don't want their ID stolen. I only carried a, a photocopy of my passport, not my real passport. Um, I was lucky enough to not have experienced any crime while I was there, but I think that's because I minimised my risk by not walking around like a tourist with a whole bunch of money on me. And uh, yourself with $100 yeah. notes. Yeah, <laughs> and, and walking, uh, walking at night in places where... I shouldn't be or I didn't know where I was. I was always, I, I was able to take a taxi uh, to any hospital or any clinic that I needed to go to. So that was okay. I didn't really take the bus much, but you just have to kind of assess the situation and always know who's around you and what's around you. And if you, if you feel unsafe, get out of that situation. Yeah. So it's really interesting. I remember last time we talked, I was, uh, we, we had a chat about how Johannesburg is rated one of the most violent and unsafe places to be, yet it's the most populated city in Johannesburg, I mean, in South Africa. And people live there. People live there every day and they love living over there. And it's just these little bits that you have, you can do to just stay safe and, and, and just get around. Was there any, in terms of, like you said, you mentioned you had no crime at all. Did you have to go out of your way to stay out of crime or was it just, you know, like anywhere else? Well, not really, but I mean, I was only there for a month. Yeah. I don't think I ever felt unsafe in that there was a group of people that looked suspicious or that I had to avoid, but I, I didn't walk through the uh, more dangerous parts of town and I was given very good advice by people who lived there, you know, where to go, where not to go and things like that. I, I didn't walk all around the town at, at midnight or anything like that. So it was it was fairly safe for me just because of I wasn't taking risky behaviour to begin with. And so no, nothing really ended up happening to me or I never really felt particularly unsafe that I had to get out of a situation. But, uh, you know, 
it's always being vigilant after a while you might start getting complacent you think oh no one's robbed me so i'm not going to get robbed and then start walking around with progressively more money in your pockets or things like that and i was talking to a few ecuadorians who had lived there some of them have been robbed a disproportionate amount of times some of them haven't you know it's all violence in a place where violence rates are higher than here is still kind of random sometimes you're just unlucky on a particular day <clears throat> and it could be in broad daylight in one of the busiest parts of the town rather than you know in a back alley at night so <clears throat> sometimes it is just random and bad luck that, that you'll get robbed so i was lucky enough to not get robbed that that's all it came down to i think yeah did you get a special mention by rafael correa i did not i did not i didn't work hard enough Alex. <laughs> yeah i think that's right i, I didn't protest enough <laughs> and i didn't get thrown in jail and act like a, a disenfranchised tourist that would have pissed off the government there so what was it like trying to get a visa sorted out did you have to get one i mean as an australian citizen i didn't I think it's because of the time that I was there. I was only there for a month, and so I didn't need a visa. I think if you're going to stay there longer than three months, you need a visa in Ecuador. Right. So that was good. I was lucky enough that I didn't have to organize a visa for any country that I went to. Right. Did you Did you need to get some special um, documentation for for the fact that you're going, or did you do some medical work and uh, it's an uh, elective and everything? Um. No, I went there as a tourist, as in that was my primary, that was what I said was my primary uh, reason for going to Ecuador uh, at customs. And so um, they didn't need anything, but I, I did have in my uh, in my bag, I had copies of the acceptance letter from Sinterandis and uh, of photocopies of my student ID and of my, all the letters that I'd sent to Sinterandis, I made photocopies of. Uh, so that I would have them in case I was ever asked, but it didn't come up. If you, if you go as a tourist, especially since I wasn't being paid uh, to go there and do anything, I didn't feel that I was going there as a um, for business purposes. I was there as a tourist, and it happened to be um, <coughs> a medical elective where I volunteered for a bit. That sounds very convenient. What was the transport like? You said you took taxis around. I mean. If I was in Austria, I'd never take taxis around. Because taxis are expensive. <laughs> I suppose it's much cheaper down there, and that would be your preferred route of transportation. Yeah, cheaper for tourists. Yeah. You know, reasonably expensive for people living there. And that's that parallels perfectly to here. People don't take taxis here, but a lot of tourists sometimes would. Uh, yeah, I, I, I took taxis just because it was cheap for me and it was just more convenient for me. I'd be able to get to places fairly easy. The public transport is fairly good. They've got a very big bus system and to get between cities, you take buses. And and I did that when I needed to get, uh, when I was doing my tourism and going between country between uh, cities in the country, I, I would I would take the buses. They've got a very good bus system. Uh, yeah, so the public transport in town is is decent and uh any anybody who does take the bus to work who i talked to was was quite happy with it um there weren't there weren't any issues there uh 
but I, I, I just found that it was just easier for me to just take a taxi directly to where I needed to go because I was only there for such a short amount of time that uh, having to learn all the bus routes and potentially missing stops and then having to walk back uh, I thought would be a bit too inconvenient for me so I just would, would hail a taxi down and just go directly to where I needed to be. That sounds fantastic. Now just for the fear of making this podcast end up um, going way too long I understand that there's a lot that we've talked about but what are your recommendations to people who are interested in going to Latin America for electives? Um, would you would you recommend your um, Ecuador experience to them? Um, what would you tell them? What would you what have you learned? What would you like to share with people? Um, well, if you want to go to Latin America, know Spanish or try and learn Spanish in the lead up to going, and keep learning Spanish while you're there. Ecuador is a great place. The Sinterandes Foundation is a great foundation. It was a very good elective. <clears throat> but if if you want to go somewhere else and find that that there's a hospital or an elective program that is better for you and really it really sounds like it'll interest you go for it you know send an email off to them ask them how they do things and, and just find the perfect one for you that'll interest you medically make time to travel as well don't go just for the elective so you know book your flights accordingly see make sure that you can see you know whichever regional country that you want to go to make sure that you can have a have a nice holiday experience on the side as well and just keep in mind that it is uh you need to use common sense for your safety it's a it's a different part of the world that's all yeah well alex thank you so much really appreciate you coming out and sharing your story with us um anyone who has any questions i'll leave alex's email at the bottom of this podcast and feel free to pop him or us an email and um, he'll get back to you Thanks again, Alex. No worries. Thanks for having me. Our episode today was put together by our executive producer, Gautam, and our core editor, Cindy. For notes, elective experiences, and much more study resources, visit our website on thecommonrounds.wordpress.com or visit us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. If you like our episodes, please subscribe and rate us on iTunes. It means a lot to us. You've been listening to The Common Rounds. I'm Hamid. And I'm Andy. And we'll see you next time. See you next time.